Thanks, guys. Hello, everyone. Good to see you this morning uh, here in the room. And uh, hello to you if you are tuning in online or catching up on, on YouTube at a later date. Um, I'm Roger. Uh, at the moment, I'm working for uh, Grace Enterprises, which is the, the charity that we set up here at, at Grace Church to provide employment opportunities for those with barriers to work. So that is keeping me busy uh, and is lots of fun. And um, one of my other great passions in life is coffee. But we'll, we'll come on to that a little bit later. Um, I've really been enjoying this uh, series through Amos, so I hope you have as well if you've been around for it. Um, we studied through Amos as a home group a couple of years ago and uh, just really loved getting to know more of this book. And it's a, a part of the Bible we often don't spend a lot of time in, isn't it? But I love the theme of righteousness uh, and justice uh, that comes through, that we get reflected uh, on this uh, great graphic that Laura's done for us with uh, Amos, the shepherd, sat under his fig tree, and uh, this big stream of justice and righteousness coming down, uh, never failing waters. And actually, JP uh, unpacked this a bit last week with uh, the difference between justice, which is talking about the external, you know, our, our lifestyle, what we do in the world, and righteousness, which is more about the, the inward, the internal, and the heart. But Amos is a book that packs a punch, isn't it? Maybe you felt that over the last few weeks. And there is a little bit more of that to come uh, in the passage today. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, do turn with me to Amos chapter 6. If not, don't worry, the, the words will be uh, on the screen for you. Uh, I'm going to read uh, the start of verse 1 uh, and then verses 4 to 7. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. Oof. There's that punch I was talking about. <laughs> it starts off, woe. And this cry of woe is a lament. Something is wrong here. And Amos is going to unpack that. You see, he's addressing those who are living in, in comfort and complacency in, in the lands. Life is pretty sweet, actually, in, in 8th century BC Israel, uh, for some at least. He's speaking to those who are complacent in Zion, that is uh, Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, and on Mount Samaria, the, the capital area of the northern kingdom uh, of Israel. And these are the people who have got uh, very fancy beds. Uh, one of the things I learned in prepping this is that there used to be uh, elephants up in Syria around this time, which is how they got their ivory to adorn their beds with. Uh, no elephants in that part of the world anymore, sadly. Um, uh, but they had these sweet beds and couches. They were able to get fattened uh, lambs and calves you know, whenever they wanted to, rather than just a few times a year like uh, most of the population would have had at that time. And then they're, they're improvising on instruments like David. I was talking about King David, uh, who was the king a, few, a couple of centuries before. You know, they're, they're living like royalty, uh, even though they aren't royalty. 
But the key line comes in verse 6. I'm sure you picked up on it. But you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. These people in wealth and complacency are not grieved by the devastation that's actually going on in their community. The, the ruin of Joseph there is talking about, uh, Joseph is kind of standing in as a term for the nation of Israel. And God's warning is stark here, isn't it? That, that there will be exile. Actually, that their feeling of invincibility and luxury will turn into defeat for them. Well, this is an issue, once again, of justice and righteousness. And actually, this theme of, of economic justice has been threaded right through the book of Amos. We've kind of seen it a little bit in previous weeks. But just to recap, in, in Amos 2, verse 7, uh, he addresses those who trample the head of the poor into the dust. It's quite a vivid metaphor. In 3, verse 9, Amos issues an invitation to come and see the oppressed in the land. 4, verse 1, again, addresses you who oppress the poor, who crush the needy. And in chapter 5 from last week, you trample on the poor, was Amos's accusation. This theme has been a key part of his prophetic ministry. And actually, in chatting with uh, Ben and JP in the lead-up to this, it, we really felt it, it merits his own message. So it might be a little bit more thematic this morning than we're used to, but uh, we'll help to unpack this issue that is right through uh, the book of Amos. And it's helpful to know a little bit of the context, I think, uh, of the, the land, the, the situation that had led to this oppression um, and this ruin, uh, as Amos puts it. There'd actually been a, a period of uh, quite politi uh, stable political environment uh, where there'd been strong kings who'd had fairly long reigns, and uh, this political stability had given the opportunity to implement a pretty comprehensive economic policy in the land. And uh, it was a, an economic policy that was focused on uh, the mass production of, of items that could then be exported to other nations. And in Israel, that was things like grain and, and olive oil and wine, things that uh, they could produce well in that fertile part of the world. But this economic policy was imposed by the wealthy elites onto uh, the small uh, country farms and villages, uh, the everyday farmers uh, in, in the land. And actually, these cash crops that were forced on them came in and replaced the balanced agricultural methods that were able to support their whole community. And that helped them to be more resilient to pestilence or drought or whatever it might have been. People's small holdings were gobbled up by larger states. And if you know anything about the history of Israel and how they came into the land and there was land apportioned for different people, you'll know that this was not God's plan for them. These lucrative exports were prioritized, and that pushed up the cost of all the basic goods and forced the poor into uh, debt servitude or just into day labor. And meanwhile, the nobility and the, the merchant class were able to indulge in all these luxury goods that they could import from, from traders around the Mediterranean. In short, the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. <laughs> Does that sound familiar to anyone? And it's funny to think, isn't it, that, um, that no one uh, in 8th century BC Israel had none of the wealthy 
uh, even the most wealthy of them. None of them had ever slept on a, a sprung mattress or drunk tea or, or coffee or hot chocolate, experienced the joys of central heating in winter, heard a piano playing, or even just had a hot shower. And for most of us in this country, in Britain today, our level of wealth and comfort is higher than the vast majority of those who have ever lived globally and historically speaking. Um, and I think it's just important for us to take stock of that, to take stock of where we are in our cult culture today. Um, because Amos isn't the only Bible author to speak about the, the risks of riches. You may know Jesus' uh, parable of the sower who sows seeds, uh, scatters it on different uh, parts of, of grounds. And uh, in Matthew 13, it says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Riches can be deceitful. And then in, in James chapter 5, James again, it feels like a bit of an Old Testament book that somehow snuck into the New Testament at points, I think, doesn't it? Uh, it's pretty fiery, but it says this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. You've laid up treasure in the last days. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. Well, Amos, Jesus, and James, they all want us to know about the danger to our souls that riches and comfort can bring. But don't hear what I'm not saying here. I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, riches or, or comfort are of themselves evil. It's not an inherent wrong to have money in the bank or a comfy sofa. But, but the Bible does warn us of the potential danger of how riches can make our hearts hard. It's a provocation to heart examination for us today, I think. For the wealthy Israelites, life was sweet, but their comfort had a foundation of injustice. And that is so often the case in our culture, too. It pops up on the BBC website from time to time, doesn't it? Whether that's in uh, SOS labels found in uh, Primark clothing, uh, notes left by unpaid Chinese workers, or whether it's uh, claims of labor exploitation in factories in Leicester just down the road, uh, factories that supply Boohoo, you know, one of our major fast fashion brands. Or even the, the story from June of this year of uh, modern slavery going on in a hand car wash up in Carlisle, and thankfully, on that occasion, the perpetrators were caught. But if you're like me, it's sometimes too easy to just see those headlines on a website and think, oh, how horrible, but then just get on with your day. But Amos reminds us that our hearts should be grieved by the, the ruin in the land. And it is actually a, a disquieting truth that there is brokenness on a societal scale. You know, injustice and oppression has got itself baked into the economic systems and structures that we necessarily interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. It's hard. But the first step for us 
is to move from comfort and complacency, like those wealthy Israelites, to Christ-like compassion. And that's a compassion that extends to all humans everywhere, not just our nearest and dearest. And I think the second step on the road to living out economic justice in our own lives is to transition from um, casual consumerism towards uh, considerate consumption. Whether we like it or not, we're all consumers. Uh, you know, God has created us to consume air on a pretty much a minute-by-minute basis. Uh, he's created us to consume water and a couple of thousand calories of food every day. I mean, we need clothing to protect our fairly ridiculous furless bodies from the elements. <laughs> and then there are all kinds of just good things mentioned in, in the Bible, things like pots and lamps and musical instruments and, and farming equipment. These are all things that help us enjoy life and to thrive. They're not bad of themselves. The answer to economic justice, to, to the problem of economic justice, is not just avoiding consuming things somehow, as if we could. But Amos's critique of the wealthy in his day should provoke us too. You know, their, their moderation and restraint had gone. Are we, too, tempted to buy into casual consumerism around furniture and food, leisure and, and lotions, like it was for them? Maybe we're not so different after all. And again, the justice issue here is not the stuff in itself, but it's the, the exploitation and the oppression that often occurs for us to have the stuff. But I think this is what considerate consumption looks like. It looks like caring about those involved in the creation of the products that we consume. And in some ways, I think this is a lot harder for us because uh, the Israelites, at least, those wealthy Israelites were living in the same land as those uh, who were being oppressed by their lifestyle. You know, they could uh, walk to the other end of town and see it, perhaps. But for us, we're in this globalized economy, aren't we? And, and often the oppression that's happening is, is halfway around the world. We have very little way of, of seeing it. And we might think, well, how on earth would I know where the oppression is happening to, to get me the, the things that I'm buying? It can be a case of uh, out of sight, out of mind for us. We just go to the shop and it's there on the shelf or on, and on the rack. And the other challenge for us, I think, is that we're in a very much an advertising and marketing saturated culture. You know, you know the average person is bombarded by 5,000 adverts on a day-to-day -day basis. On one day, 5,000 adverts. It's crazy, isn't it? Whether it's radio, TV, social media, billboard walking around, it's pretty much everywhere. And the, there are all these pressures from this that are telling us we need more or better or newer, and often that we can get it, we can get it cheaper and more easily. It's a, a challenge to, to stand against the tide here and to disbelieve the lies that we get told. I'm reminded of the word that Jade shared in, in our worship time today, about the, the lies of the world that is so easy to buy into, and the, the challenge that Jade brought prophetically there. Of what are we spending it on? Is it things that don't truly satisfy? I've noticed that for, for some Christians, the response can sometimes be to just spend as little as possible. Sounds like a safe approach, doesn't it? Trying to avoid wasting money. And I think it's understandable, because good stewardship of resources is important. 
But the question we need to ask ourselves is, in paying less for this product, whatever it might be, who is it that's losing out? We read in, in James 5 earlier about the rich who are withholding wages from their workers. We, we might not be doing this deliberately. I hope we're not. But is this sometimes an unintended consequence of us getting things cheaply, that wages are withheld from the workers? We've got a, a history and a reputation here at Grace Church, I think, of being a, a generous church in terms of giving financially. And that's wonderful. It is good for our hearts to deny ourselves things that we might want in order to have more resources to, to give away, to give to the church or to charitable organizations. But economic justice is not just about giving generously. It's about spending fairly. And I wonder if sometimes we need to pay a bit more to ensure that justice is being done in the world. It doesn't make sense for us to perpetuate poverty through underpaying for things that we're buying so that we've got money spare at the end of the month to be able to give away charitably to help solve those same problems. It's challenging, isn't it? We are living in a world where it feels pretty impossible to get it right, and yet knowing that God really does care about how we live and what we do with the resources that we have. God's expectations for justice and righteousness are the same today as they were in Amos's time, and actually the same as they have been in every generation. There's a high bar of justice and righteousness. And it's tempting, I think, to react in one of two ways to either carry on in comfort and complacency, not really engage with the issue, just be a bit willfully ignorant of some of the facts of economic injustice. And, and that was what the people in Amos's time seemed to be doing. But I think the other thing that we can be tempted into is to, have a, 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 to just feel really condemned by this and to switch into guilt-induced activity to just frantically start working to try and achieve righteousness on our own terms. But both of those are dead ends. Neither of those paths will lead us into wholeness and freedom in this area. What then? Well, praise God that there is a third way. You see, there, there was one who lived a life without complacency, or self-centered comfort. Who as a baby was laid in a feeding trough rather than on a fancy bed adorned with ivory. There was one who was truly grieved over the ruin of Joseph, whose lament over Jerusalem we have recorded in, in Matthew 23. And there was one who spoke out against injustice in the land and told stories to explain the importance of loving strangers. There was only one who lived a life without error, and yet he was sentenced as a criminal. And as he suffered on the cross, he took upon himself the oppression of the world, experiencing the ultimate injustice, so that in him, all of us unrighteous sinners could wondrously become the righteousness of God. His grace covers not just all our sins, past, present, future, 
but it covers all our interactions with this broken system and the, the economic structures on, on this earth that just don't quite work. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you have put your trust in him, he has irrevocably made you righteous, and he invites you to walk with him on a journey of compassionate justice in this world. What is your next step? Well, I hope you'll allow me to, to get a little bit practical as we come towards the end here this morning, um, to, to share something of what I found on my journey with this, uh, just in the hope that it might help you as you process and think about what your next step might be. So we're going to look at three C's, okay, just as we come towards an end here. Uh, they are uh, chocolate, coffee, and clothing, and they're just great places to start in thinking all of this through. So first up, chocolate. And uh, I've got a question for you. Would anyone like to have a guess as to the chocolate consumption per person each year in Britain? You know, how, many, how many kilograms do you think the average Briton eats of chocolate every year? And I am looking for, uh, for guesses out loud here. There is a prize to give away, a chocolatey prize. 40 is a bit too high. Well, seven is very close. Eight is correct. Who said eight? Yes, Luke. Well done. You win the prize, which is a bar of this Tony's chocolate. I don't know if anyone knows cho uh, Tony's chocolate. It's a, ba a brand that I particularly like. Actually, we've got a really short video clip just to explain a bit about Tony's. Cool. Um, well, well done, Luke. Here is uh, one forty-fifth of your annual chocolate consumption, um, and that Tony's is available in, in Sainsbury's and Co-op. You might know it already. You, you might see it uh, next time you're out for a shop. But I think it's great. Their vision of, of slave-free chocolate—it's pretty good, isn't it? Um, so second up, then the second C uh, is coffee. I said that coffee was a particular passion of mine at the start. Um, and uh, coffee is a product that originated in Yemen or Ethiopia, depending on who you ask. Um, but it's now pretty much a global crop. You know, it grows across uh, the world in the, in the kind of middle belt of the world. And um, I love great coffee. There are some really great coffee roasteries that we have here in Nottingham. Um, uh, one of my favorite ones is Cartwheel, who's packaging a little bit like this. And what I love about it is that this is a, an Ethiopian coffee. But it doesn't stop there, because it's possible to, to find out a little bit more about it. So I can, can look on here and find out, oh, not only was it produced in Ethiopia, but it was produced on the, the Bale Mountain Farm. And not only was it uh, produced there, but it was produced by a guy called 
Israel Degfa. Um, I didn't know he was uh, going to be called Israel, but I realized that's quite a fun tie-in with our message this morning, isn't it? Um, so if you've never tried uh, freshly roasted coffee from a local roastery before, I um, would really recommend it to you. I'm not giving this away, though. That's for me. <laughs> um, and then the third C is uh, clothing. Um, this is a, a T-shirt I got a few years ago um, from a website called Know the Origin. And again, it's based on this idea that it shouldn't be, too, it shouldn't be uh, a big question to ask who has been involved in producing the things that we have. So Know the Origin are really focused on transparency in the production chain. And uh, you can find out all kinds of bits of information about where your garments come from to, to give you confidence that um, oppression hasn't occurred to, to bring something like that uh, to you. Well, we are quickly running out of time this morning. I've talked about just those three C's of, of uh, chocolate, coffee, and clothing. Um, if you're wondering where to start with anything else, um, I'd recommend a website called uh, ethicalconsumer.org, which is a real mine of information about different companies and their, their track record of justice. Um, and it's got suggestions about what to think about when purchasing all kinds of different items. Um, Gus, we have the band. But I'm quite aware that in sharing a message like this um, this morning, that it'll probably land in a lot of different places, depending on where you're at um, on your journey with this, or, or even kind of where, what your own um, financial resources are at the moment. And uh, I think that for some people tuning in or even here in the room, maybe the one thing that they need to hear is that God is grieved when the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. That's not okay for God. But for other, others of us, I wonder, maybe you've felt something of uh, God's conviction uh, today in the message, and you are wanting to take the next step. And I'd just love for us to, to take a moment of stillness before the band start, um, just in prayer, to, to respond to, to God's word. So where you are, why don't you just close your eyes, still your hearts, uh, and then I'll pray for us. God, we thank you that you are a God of justice and righteousness. We thank you that your standard is way beyond any standard of uh, different brands in this, in this world, different companies. Your standard uh, is, in fact, impossible for us to meet um, in our own efforts. And so, Lord, we do thank you for the grace that is available to us at the cross, where all of our interactions with the broken systems can uh, be made right. But I ask, Lord, that you would help us wherever we are, whatever our next step is, to have soft hearts, to ask you what then our next step is, to journey with you in this area, not to receive your approval, but because it's the, the natural response of those who know you. Help us to have Christ-like compassion towards those in the world, some of whom we'll never meet because they're the other side of the world in a different country we'll never go to, but yet we can show them something of your love. Be with us, Lord. Amen.